0: You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right, we'll give them a round of applause. That was fun. Man, uh, that that, that was going on. I figured everybody'd stand up and start dancing, you know. So, uh, hey, I wanted to say uh, we're excited and thankful for all of you that gave financially. We were able to scholarship a bunch of kids to go to camp. I had a mom come up right after the first service and said, hey, thank you so much. We were in a really difficult spot. We were planning on not even attending. And uh, you guys scholarship my son, and he came back on fire for Jesus. Isn't that cool? So I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was like, I got to share that in the, in the next service. So um, my daughter came back and she said, dad, I have to talk to you. And I'm like thinking, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be a real spiritual moment here. And so, so she says, I got to talk to you. And I said, okay. And she goes, let's sit down. And I'm like, okay. And then she says, dad, the preacher there, he is so much better than you. <laughs> and then I was like, cool. Okay. And then, and then she said, and by the way, the worship so much better than Joshua. <laughs> hey, from a nine-year-old, you know, hey, let it go. So... I thought it was funny. So I said, well, that's great, you know? I mean, because the music they do, the style they do, the connecting with kids, that's exactly what you want. Like, if she said, you know, it's just like you, Dad, then it'd be very, very boring for a nine-year-old kid. So (laughs) I think that all those folks, the prerequisite for the preachers is they gotta jump. (laughs) They gotta jump and they gotta move around and all that. So that's where I wore my tennis shoes today, so I can jump and then something's in the bag. I don't want to tell you about what's in there, but something's in there, and so I got you on edge. All right, so today what we're doing um, is we're covering a a passage that uh, is kind of an interesting passage, but I I, I told you I wanted to teach you uh, the different types of the Psalms, and so we went on week one, Psalm 63. It was a testimonial psalm. Uh, we called it—I don't remember what we called it—but then we called uh, week two it was Lord of all creation, and it was a creation psalm. And then today we're doing this thing called—we're uh, looking at a psalm as a, a, a lament psalm. Um, everybody say lament. lament. Lament means that you're sad, that you're you know, something's bothered you, and so uh, this psalm in Psalms chapter 13. I've never taught on it before. It's been called by some the howling psalm, like just crying, moaning, complaining. Um, And the psalmist David, I don't know how old he is at the time that he wrote this psalm, but it's a song that he sung through, uh, wrote down, and then it's been held for preachers, teachers, Christians, leaders, folks to review and to look at and to connect with. This is not a good place to go for theology of suffering, Psalms chapter 13. However, this is a great place to go to say, I identify with that. I connect there. Uh, The Psalms is Hebrew poetry, okay? Um, It's not like Genesis. Genesis is uh, a historical account of what is and what has happened and how God created everything, and it gives an account of how things all began and then, and then, so Psalms, is like poetry. So I'm not the most poetic, but I love teaching the Bible so I can, I can do this. Um, Psalms chapter 13, let's just jump right in it. Um, it goes, verse one, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Uh, David is asking some questions, About God. He doesn't feel like he's near him, doesn't think that he's uh, around him. He feels distant, disconnected, disoriented. And it's like he's uh, kind of projecting uh, false information that's really not true. Uh, God didn't forget about David, but have you ever felt like God's forgotten about you? Would you raise your hand? Okay? You ever felt like you've been distant in your relationship with God before and you're kind of like, I think this is God, I don't know if it's me, I don't know what's going on. davids he addresses God. It's a typical lament psalm. He addresses God, and then he gives a complaint, and he's going to complain, and then he's going to give a request, and then the last part of a lament psalm is he's going to express his trust and faith in God, which is really cool. So I come to this psalm, Psalm chapter 13, to self-identify again. I put my feed into the shoes of David and try to understand what it's like and then be able to express that to you. I've been here before. How long, oh Lord? How long I gotta be in this season? How long are my kids gonna be going through this? How long is this hardship gonna last? How, how, how long is this uh, uh, family issue, relational problem gonna, gonna go on, Lord? How long am I gonna battle uh, this uh, struggle medically, physically? How, how long, Lord? I don't know how long I can hold on. And so he feels forgotten. Notice that word feel, I said, feel. He feels forgotten. God didn't forget about him, but he feels that way. Verse 2, he says, How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Uh, David wasn't just having a bad day. He's having day after day after day after day after day after day day of bad days. Um, Some would say that he's in a state of depression. You know, when you say, man, I'm depressed, I'm like, "Oh well, tell me about your life. Like, are you feeling like you don't want to get out of bed today and you had a bad day and then you just say, I'm depressed? Or is it like literally you've been in bed for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and you don't want to get out of bed and every day is a bad day? Because everybody has a bad day, but when you have them all the time, something's wrong. Uh, one of the uh, preacher-teachers that I really love is Charles Haddon Spurgeon in church history. He was a famous preacher-teacher in uh, London and uh, did a great job, had a booming voice, big figure, fill, filled up the churches there, brought uh, all sorts of revival uh, to, to London and around, and, uh, but he had a weakness I don't know why, but he struggled with depression significantly. And it it, it surprises me at times to see the different Christian leaders in the Scriptures, how much they struggle, um, really, with discouragement or some would call depression. And Charles Haddon Spurgeon loved this uh, chapter. In fact, he wrote a a number of books and and commentaries, uh, one called The Treasury of David, Uh, which I've been leaning on and looking to uh, through this psalm series, and I look to it all the time. I love it. It's really encouraging to get you through whatever you're going through. And here, psalmist David is expressing that he's saying, I took counsel in my soul, kind of did personal inventory, which is healthy to do, uh, kind of take account, and the soul is the immaterial being. It's not the material being. Uh, It's the, the supernatural, spiritual side of the human experience and the uh, human creation. He says, how long must I take counsel in my soul? You ever been there before where you're kind of just constantly talking to yourself about yourself and what's going on? You got to get out of bed. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day. And you look in the mirror. Oh, it's not a good day. <laughs> uh, David is taking counsel with himself uh And his sorrow in his heart, I don't know if you've been there before where a great season of sadness kind of settles into the heart, and you're just kind of like, man, this hurts. Talked to a friend the other day told me they lost a loved one, and they told me about the pain that they were experiencing, and I told him something, and he said, I didn't think you were going to tell me that. I said, the pain that you feel will probably never go away. Probably the intensity will go away, and the frequency will go away. But that pain that you feel, it'll never go away. And the reason why is because you'll always love that person. Uh, David is dealing with all sorts of sorrows in his heart. I don't think he's dealing over the loss uh, of, or death of a loved one at this point in time. But he is dealing perhaps with the loss of a, a relationship. His son has betrayed him. His son has ousted him. Uh, kind of did a, a, a coup on him and trying to take over his throne. And David's on the run. He's tired, he's fatigued, he's discouraged, and some would say he's depressed. Uh, He's got a lot of pain in his heart, and then he says this, and how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? He sees everybody else doing great, and he's not. He's frustrated about the evil in the world, and he feels like they get the exaltation, and he is in uh, despair. So David's complaining in verse three, he says this, here's the request, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's so discouraged in such despair that he says, God, unless you illuminate my vision and give me a new vision for life, I'm not going to make it. Uh, He's perhaps is dealing with some kind of level of depression or discouragement beyond uh, just a spiritual impact into his life, but a physical. Um, When you get uh, mentally uh, or spiritually overwhelmed so much, it literally has a physical effect on your body. Uh, David in Psalms 32 wrote about this and Described uh, his body and the pain that he felt physically through his depression and his through his discouragement, and, uh, and when you get to that space and place of great despair or depression, there's unexplained aches and pains. There's feelings of helplessness and hopelessness, and then there's this. Uh, people can experience a loss of a tremendous energy or chest pains and a loss of joy and a loss of just. Uh, zeal for life. And that's human. That is absolutely human to experience something like that at some level or another. But what we need is beyond human. What we need is supernatural. And David moves from his complaint to his request, and he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest, verse 4, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's shook up. It's like a breakdown of sorts. Uh, I remember I had a, a shake-up in my own personal life. I've told some of you the story before, but through seminary, it was just a lot of hardship. I was down there. My dad didn't give me his blessing, told me it was a bad idea, Uh, Leslie's father said it was a stupid idea. We got zero family support, sold our house in Arkansas, spent all our money on tuition, got two master's degrees in three years, about gave myself a heart attack about three times, and had two different jobs, raising two kids at the same time. We got twins. The uh, the positive side of me well, two for the price of one, you know. My wife's like, yeah, it's double trouble, (laughs) you know. That was probably the more appropriate response. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, so we make it through it. But I remember woke, waking up in the middle of the night, I thought somebody crawled on top of me with a knife and put it down through my heart. I woke up screaming. and My wife said, What's wrong? What's wrong? And I'm like, yeah, You stabbed me. <laughs> She's like, No, I didn't. And I'm thinking, What's wrong? And I, th- I said, God, oh, I'm having a heart attack. I'm like 37 years old. It was stress. Stress can work its way on you in incredible, weird ways. It's probably into a season of little depression or two. You know, I was rough. It's because I wasn't sleeping right. I wasn't eating right. I just was grinding away. I was burning out. And uh, I felt like I was shaken up pretty hard. My wife said, we need to go see a doctor. I went and saw a doctor you know, and I've got an overactive mind. I got a two-track mind just like you. And my two-track mind's always processing multiple levels of information all the time where I can communicate and think at the same time uh, in some levels. And that gets me in trouble because all of a sudden I'm talking to the person and then I'm gone into left field and I'm thinking about this and I got answers for this. And then I come back, and I'm like, you know, where were we? Um, but a lot of times I can process both at the same time. The problem with an overactive mind can be is that you literally, when you go to bed, your body's fatigued and tired, your mind still keeps moving. And being a pastor with hundreds of people and keeping up with details of people's lives and praying for you and doing all that, it's hard at times to sleep. And I got people in in our church always praying for me to sleep and get rest so I can just do my best, you know. But I can identify with this. I can identify with David. I can identify with hardship. So a number of family members, unexpected loss when I was down there in seminary. And I've said it before, but I think the Christian life is filled with immense joy and immense sorrow. And to say one is more than the other just isn't necessarily true. You're constantly dealing with sorrow and constantly you've got joy that you can claim and experience. So David says, verse three, consider and answer me, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And then verse four, lest my enemy, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Verse five, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. This is a declaration statement. This is a statement of saying, I've, I have trusted in you in the past. I'm going to keep trusting in you. You've been steadfast. You've been faithful over my life. Your goodness is over my life. I see that, God. This is David getting out of the ditch with his head down, looking up and saying, there's hope. Hope is what keeps you going as a Christian. Realizing that you've got a power that's a supernatural power, you have access to that, David would have known that the Spirit of God can work in powerful ways And he says, I've trusted in your steadfast love. He's seen God's love over his life when his dad rejected him and kept him out on the backfield. When when Samuel came forward uh, and said, we're looking for a young man that God wants to anoint and to appoint, his dad told David, you take a hike, you stay in the backfield. And Samuel said, there's somebody missing here. And David, in the longings of his heart, had a heart for God. And David shows up, Probably excited and giddy, and shows up and he says, Yes, here I am. And Samuel says, That's the man. That's going to be the next king. It's going to be a king of Israel. Served over 40 years, faithful ministry. So David saw God's faithfulness. And what's crazy about that appointment and that anointing for David is guess what? As soon as he got anointed and appointed, he went right back in the field. And his dad put him back in the field and then he waited for a very long time. But you know what got David through the season of hardship of waiting? Probably just singing to the Lord, probably looking at the mountains and giving praise to God, probably learning how to just think that God's going to use all his skills somehow in some way, being a shepherd boy. Now he's going to turn into a shepherd king. So David's seen the sovereignty of God play out over his life. And so he says stuff like, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. I did that, Lord. I put my trust in you and your love has been over my life. You called me out. You anointed me. You appointed me. And then he goes on to say, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. In other words, he's telling his heart what it's going to do. And I love this. I think it's so important because Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah says, did you know that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things? And you might say, wait a second. I thought the Bible said, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Well, it is both. There's goodness in your heart and there's evil in your heart. And David says, I'm going to tell my heart to rejoice in the salvation. God is my Savior. So, verse 6, he closes out with a declaration and a future intent. In a present one too, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He's, in a, he's having a bad day. But he says, I'm calling back and I'm going to call on him. I'm going to sing to him because he's been bountiful with me. He's he's done great and goodness over my life. Um, This is your call. This is your uh, challenge that when you go through a hardship, you get here and you're lamenting. Uh, David addressed God, complained to God, gave a request, and then he expresses a trust in God. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to sing through my sorrow. I'm going to worship through my worry. And so you may ask the question for you, whatever trial, hardship that you're going through, how long do I have to hold on and how can I hold on any longer when I feel like I can't? I give you three uh, truths that I think will help you to get through whatever you may be going through or what you will go through. Number one, I would say don't be surprised at the trial that you face. All throughout the Scripture, the Bible tells us that there's all sorts of trials and troubles and tribulations that are there for us, and we're all going to go through them. Um, the Apostle Peter said, don't be surprised when you face trials of many kinds. Don't be surprised. Don't, don't be surprised as if something strange was happening to you. I think sometimes we think it's something really weird is going on in our life, that we're going through these hardships. Sometimes you wonder, is God after me? Did God forget me? I didn't forget you. God may be after you. you. You may need to be disciplined like a father needs to discipline his child. Uh, but you also could be involved in a trial because you brought it upon yourself. How many times have you kind of found yourself in trouble? And you're like, yeah, I kind of did that. That was kind of my fault. Uh, and it's a fool who always blames somebody for somebody else's, for your own trouble. Um, But don't be surprised when you find a a, a trial or tribulation. Jesus said it like this, in this world, you will face trials or troubles or tribulation, but take heart because I've overcome the world. So there's an expectation I think that we need to have that there's going to be trials or struggles or whatnot. I remember this one story of a a young man who, uh, he just became a Christian. He was like one of these people that you wonder, like if he becomes a Christian, he's probably going to give Christianity a bad rap. And uh, he was like a crazy party guy I hung out with. I'm going to just name who he is. I'm going to name his first name. I won't name his last name because if you're watching this, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, his name was Bobby. And Bobby was just the party animal, crazy guy. Bobby had bad, bad theology. Bobby becomes a Christian because his life's a train wreck. He was at the singles gathering one night. And he's like, man, I feel so blessed. He said, I feel so blessed. I got no stress. So he's quoting all these like little one little quips and phrases. And I'm like, dude, you've been watching way too much TV and televangelism stuff. And so he goes on and he says, dude, anything, any problem I have, God has taken everything away. I'm, now I'm healthy. Now I'm wealthy. And he's doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking... Dude, you're crazy. So then he says, "You know what?" And two, when I'm driving my car, every red light turns green, and when it doesn't, I just drive through and say "Hallelujah." <laughs> I said, "Dude, you're an idiot, man. You're an idiot." Uh, I, 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 I think Bobby found out in the Christian life. He was incredibly shattered and surprised when trials started happening. He had a bad theology don't have a bad theology. Don't think that just because you're in a trial or a tribulation that God doesn't care about you. Don't think just because you're in trouble or something hard is happening in your life that God is gone. God is there. And sometimes in the trial and in the trouble that's when you actually can find him the most. And what we do sometimes is get bad theology like Bobby and think that everything's supposed to be wonderful. He's going to give me a parking spot right on the front row. No, you should give that parking spot to somebody else. You know, like your blessing maybe is that you drive past that parking spot and be like, that's for somebody else and drive on. I I don't know. My point is don't be surprised when you face a trial. Number two is I'd say don't camp out in the crisis. Again, the, the folks that camp out in the crisis get into all sorts of trouble. They are either, they're either mentally unhealthy uh, or theologically unhealthy. Um, I'll tell you a story to, to illustrate it. Uh, uh, camping out in the crisis is there's a kind of a strain of theology that's really done a lot of damage within the Christian community. And I think it stems back into church history, like you're trying to suffer for Christ, where we think that sometimes in order to be holier, things just need to be harder. So we take the hardest route, and we quote Bible verses like this. Jesus said to pick up your cross and carry your cross. I'm carrying my cross, brother, and it is a heavy cross. I'm like, yeah, but you don't gotta be running around looking for lots of crosses. When Jesus said that, what he was saying is that you're gonna be rejected, you're gonna be persecuted, you're gonna, for my name's sake, But that doesn't mean that you got to go out and find the hardest, the heaviest, the most challenging situation possible, and then think you're holier because you're doing that. Sometimes the holiest thing you could do is just do something very simple that's not very burdensome. Um, Let me explain some of this weird theology that I've seen in church history is... Uh, a lot of the Episcopalians, the Lutherans, the Anglicans, the Roman Catholics—they um, they pursue this idea that they need to kind of stay in their uh, uh, crisis, if you will, or and and experience self-suffering. Um, they have this uh, thing called uh, the mortification of the flesh, and it's the theology that you die and you crucify your 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 flesh and your sin, not physically. But in order to grow in holiness, you need to remind yourself of all the sin and the sorrow and inflict a little pain to help you to remember it. So they get this literally. Well, I'll get it out in a second. But they, they literally, they get this little whip and, and they, there's seven strands usually on the whip, seven cords, to remind them of the seven deadly sins. And so I thought, do these really exist? And so then I bought one of these. and I was like, hey, that looks weird. And uh They literally would walk around and still some traditions do it, and it's practicing penance. And what they do is they feel that they're such a sinner that they whip themselves and they walk in a parade and they whip their backs and they're confessing their sin. And I thought about this, I thought in the Christian life, sometimes maybe we do something like that. My marriage is dysfunctional and bad and you know, I kind of brought it upon myself, and I, you know, I think about the, even the extreme example of an abuse victim, and I've been in the office before and heard this before. Well, I acted up, and he did this to me. If I didn't act up, then that wouldn't happen. Or you're in a situation, and you think that, uh, oh, I need to stay in this situation uh, because I kind of got to what's coming to me, and so I just have to keep, carrying my cross, and remind myself of all the hardship I've done. And then you know what happens is, is this becomes the voice of condemnation in your life. This becomes the the incredible discouragement and despair. And this is where the demonic work happens, where you see in the lives of young people especially, they start to even cut themselves and mutilate themselves in order to kind of do a penance for their wrong behavior. And pain is the only thing that wakes them up. And this is a bad theology, the idea that you, you camp out in the crisis, that you stay there. I think of another illustration of a young camping family. They went camping, and they were warned that you don't camp near this river because a flash flood could come. And every every bit of good wisdom would have said, well, you've got to move to higher ground. You don't camp out there. But they decide to camp there anyway, and then a storm comes way upstream, and then comes and. Uh, flushes through and floods the area and the tent's gone. The family's gone by morning. I think what can happen in times is in your trial, in your tribulation, you have this weird idea that you should camp out in the crisis for a little bit. You do nothing. You don't call for help. You don't get anybody involved. You just try to handle it yourself and you're, in a sense, camping into the crisis. Crisis is a terrible place to stay. When you're in a crisis, it's like you're not thinking straight, you're not acting right. You're in a crisis, and you should only be in a crisis if your life was a percentage point, maybe three or four percent of your life. Crisises are going to come, but you don't got to camp out there. So what happens is, is folks get discouraged, they lose a loved one, and there's a crisis, they lose a friend, they lose a, 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 a family member, and there's a crisis well, how long do you stay there? Years? Months? Weeks? Days? You got to move beyond the crisis. And I think what happens is we think this bad theology, like harder is holier. And that's just wrong thinking. Or that we deserve the suffering. We deserve the hardship. Don't camp out in your crisis. Not every trial that goes on in your life, you don't need to camp out there. You need to reach out for some, to God's word and ask God, God, what are you doing in my life? Why is this crisis here? Why is this trial here? Go to godly people when you can't understand your situation. God, God's word and godly people can help you through to say, is this a trial that I need to stay at? Or is this a trial I need to just pack up and move on? So I'll give you two disclaimers about this idea of don't camping out in the crisis. You never, yeah, sometimes you do got to stay there. Uh, Two disclaimers, don't ever disobey God's uh, uh, trials in your life. If God's called you to a trial and a hardship and it's just tough, you just stick with it. I can think of different times when a crisis has hit in in a a family's lives here at the church and they're just like, well, you know what? Things just got too hard. Work exploded on me. You know, uh, my wife is just not acting right and so I just, I need to take a break. Me time. So I'm just kind of, I'm not going to divorce, but I'll just legally separate. I'm out. No, God didn't call you to that. Mm -mm. No, you need counseling. You need help. You better stay in this trial. God didn't call you out of that. You need to stay in that trial and work through it. Different times when folks uh, uh, made financial commitments to the church and do campus development stuff and we're doing great stuff and expanding. And then all of a sudden they get a little financial hiccup and they're like, I'm out. Well, guess what? You're out just caused a ripple effect in the rest of the church family. So you don't ever leave your trial if it's going to hurt other people just trying to escape the pain. But in, in essence, I had to get, tell you this, that there's a lot of times you don't need to camp in the crisis. You need to move on. But what about the times when you get stuck and you have to work through the trial? Number three, here's what I would say is this, is if you can't avoid the trial, you just keep going. If you're in a tough spot, you're in a really tough spot. You just got to keep going. And life is tough. Life is not easy. It's like climbing a rope. You know, it takes hard work to climb a rope. Not all of you guys could climb a rope very well. And I definitely can't climb a rope as, I, as good as I used to. But I'll tell you something that's easy about climbing a rope is when you let go. Letting go is simple. You just let go. But God calls us oftentimes to just keep going even in the hardship. I think what's made this church great is perseverance. And this is a mark of maturity and a mark of healthiness is that when you have the ability just to keep going through whatever you're going through. So I'll give you some ideas on how to keep going. Um, I'd encourage you that you think of uh, this idea of think about all the people in life that just keep going. Like, let me give you a list of names of folks that just kept going, they never quit it. Abraham Lincoln, he didn't quit. He just kept going. Thomas Edison, through all his failures and all he did. Fred Smith, when he started, he was a university, uh, he was in, in Arkansas and tried to bring the idea of FedEx to Little Rock National Airport. And they told him, that's a stupid idea, Fred. Nobody's, it's never going to work. He said, fine, I'm going to Memphis and set up this big thing called FedEx. Uh, he so many times we think of a people that just didn't quit or Rosa Parks who stood up for uh, when there was injustice or Mother Teresa when she uh, traveled into Africa and went into the slums of Calcutta and just kept ministering and people told her, you're going to lose your life, you're going to die and she never quit. Or think about Billy McCringle and you're like, who is Billy McCringle? He's the guy who quit. That's why you don't know him. So here's my point. We don't remember the people that quit. We remember the people that didn't quit. You want to create a legacy in your life? Don't quit. Just keep moving forward. You got a crazy family background of a bunch of quitters? Don't quit. Break that cycle. Don't quit. We we, we remember the ones that experience adversity and then press through it. So if you can't avoid the trial... You just keep going. So think destiny versus deliverance. Think about, God, I know the plans that you have for me, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, plans to make better in this life or the next. I'm going to trust your word. Think destiny versus deliverance. Deliverance is, is, God, I'm just focusing all my energy. You better deliver me right now. I need out of this uh, hell hole. I need help. I need you to deliver me, deliver me, deliver me. Well, guess what? You can get real discouraged real fast there. Because sometimes your deliverance is going to take a lot longer than God's timetable. But if you focus on destiny versus deliverance, you go to a whole nother level, mentally, emotionally. And most people get discouraged and depressed because here it is, expectations don't match up with reality. But when you put your expectations in a whole nother category, you're like, I can move through this. Think destiny versus deliverance. Think character versus comfort. By that I mean that, think about this, God cares far more about your character than he does your comfort. Amen? Let me say that again. God cares far more about your character than your comfort. If you think that with your mind, then what you say to yourself is, wait a second, this hardship is part of perhaps my holiness. And so now I'm going to lean into this thing because I do know that what doesn't kill me is going to make me stronger. So I'm going to press through this. Character versus comfort. What do we do in American culture? Oh, all we think about is comfort. We are uh, creatures of comfort. You sit in the same seats you always sit in. And when I push you to challenge you to get out of your comfort zone, and you do, we make this church stronger. And so as a believer, you got to think, if I'm going to keep going, I cannot think about my personal comforts. You ever raise kids before? That's not comfortable. That's very hard. But if you say, you know what? God's got this challenge in my life because he's going to do something in me and I'm going to give him praise and glory through it all. I'm going to sing my song even in my suffering. See, there's strength there. And so last, I'd say, Uh, think holiness versus happiness. What I mean by that is that if you focus on happiness, then you're probably not going to be thinking about holiness. But if you focus your life on, I want to grow in holiness, then I promise you this, happiness will come. It, It might not come as fast as you want, but the best life is the life with Jesus Christ. Uh, St. Augustine said it like this, my heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. In other words, I'm not myself, I'm not normal, I'm not good until my heart's kind of in neutral with God to say, you wanna put it in gear, put me in gear. You wanna put me in reverse, put me in reverse. Whatever you wanna do. If we think as believers, you know what? I gotta keep going through this trial. So here's what I gotta do. I got to start thinking more about holiness versus my own personal happiness. And when you think about holiness, uh, then I think it opens up the pathway to happiness because happiness really is just an emotion, but the deeper level of happiness is joy. And then you can say things like this, like the old hymn, it is well, it is well with my soul. I think about that, that song, and that song uh, meant uh, to the, the, the guy that experienced a tremendous loss of his family, and then he has the tenacity and the internal fortitude to say, it's well with my soul. Knowing that his kids would be in heaven, knowing that his wife would be in heaven, he says that. And then I think back over David's life and for you, and here's what I would challenge you with, is realize that the goodness of God has been with you over your whole life. That he's been there the whole time. When you might feel like David was put out in the backfield, overlooked and unwanted and underappreciated, God's steadfast love rests over your life. And he's got an anointing and an appointing for your life. And what your challenge is, is will you rise up in the suffering and in the sorrow and give praise and sing to him? And when you do, you're opening up airways and you're creating a pathway for you to say, I'm walking through this, I can worship in my worry. I can, give, I can sing in my sorrow, and there's power and strength in that. And so how long can you hold on when you just can't hold on any longer? Some of you, seriously, you've camped out in the crisis, you need to let go of the rope. You need to pack up tent and move out because God didn't call you to that crisis. Many of you, you're in a trial, you're in a hard season, and God says, keep going, keep going. I'm with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I do pray, God, that you and your word can give direction for people here in this room today as to where they're at and what you want them to do. I think it's clear that we don't need to be surprised by the trials and hardships. But Lord, what may be unclear is Do we stay in this trial because you've called us to a difficult season in life? Or do we just keep, do we let go and move on? So I pray that you give wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, maybe a good friend, a godly voice, an encourager, a family member, a friend, a community group leader, a pastor, somebody to help give encouragement in a season of question and wonder and lord we identify with the psalmist david and, and we can complain but lord let us move to that space and place where we give you praise in jesus name amen well, hey it's been great uh being with you this morning before i jump off the stage i want to say a special thanks again to all of our our, our donors our givers uh, Giving really helps make a big difference at this church. I love the story of hearing the young boy and the family that got to go to camp because of your generosity. And so if you're new here, don't feel obligated to give. If this is your place of worship, please do give. Give generously, sacrificially, faithfully. And I'd say, especially during the summertime, do it automated so you don't have to think about it because when you're out of town, ministry's still happening. And so we got to keep moving forward. So thank you. We're going to continue to worship. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.